Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Uh, well, the next couple of weeks, of course, we're going to be focused on Christmas, which is coming up. And uh, I, I thought about going a few different directions for Christmas, uh, but, today, but I decided we're going we're gonna to continue our study of Luke. Uh, we're going to keep going where we're going and just focus a little bit on Christmas and how our text relates to it. Um, so this week and next week, we're going to be asking uh, two critical Christmas questions. Uh, first of all, who is Jesus? And secondly, why did he come? I think many people in our culture understand that Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Jesus. I think if you ask most people on the street, uh, they would have at least that basic uh, understanding that that's what Christmas is supposed to be. But typically that's where it stops. Uh, We see nativity scenes at the store. You might hear songs about Jesus being born. uh, But it seems like the reason for Jesus' birth is often missed. Uh, Why do we celebrate the birth of a baby from 2,000 years ago? Uh, What's so special about him? Why is that worth celebrating? And so I'd like for the next couple of weeks not to focus as much on the birth of Jesus as who that baby was and why he was born, why he came to earth. And my prayer is that through these sermons, uh, hopefully for us, Christmas will be more meaningful. Uh, Christmas, of course, ought to mean more to us as Christians than it does to people in the world. Uh, And so I hope that that will be the case uh, over the next few weeks. Our text this morning begins in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, where Luke writes, Then he called his twelve disciples together. And gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so here Jesus sends out uh, the 12 apostles and he gives them the power to cast out demons and to cure those who are sick. Basically to do the things that he had been doing. Uh, They were given the same uh, miraculous power that Jesus had. Now of course Jesus had it of himself. Uh, They were given basically delegated power. And it was for a period of time. They were not doing this on their own authority uh, the way Jesus was, but they were doing it as representatives of him. And so they were given the ability for a period of time uh, to cast out demons and to cure the sick and to do the things uh, that Jesus had been doing. And Luke also mentions in verse 2 that that they had been sent to preach the kingdom of God. Uh, This was their main mission, was to spread the good news of God's kingdom that had arrived. And this, of course, was the message that Jesus himself preached all throughout his ministry. The gospel or the good news of the kingdom is something that really started with John the Baptist. You remember from our study a few months ago that John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Messiah. Uh, He was the one who announced the way uh, that Jesus was coming and that the kingdom of God was about to arrive. And so in Matthew chapter 3, we have a summary of John's ministry. It says in Matthew 3, 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, This was John's central message throughout his ministry. He spread the news that a king was coming and that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was very soon to come. Uh, The Jews, of course, had been awaiting the arrival of their promised king who would establish his kingdom and reign forever. And so this would have come as very good news to them. Uh, They're under Roman oppression. They want to get rid of the Romans uh, and they want to have an independent nation Israel does, and they they want to have their own king, and so this would have been very good news to them. Uh, But John the Baptist was put in prison, you remember, by Herod. He was later killed by him, Uh, and this is where Jesus kind of enters the scene, and he begins to teach 
And his message is the very same as John's was. Mark chapter 1 gives us a summary of what Jesus' preaching was all about in Mark 1.14. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. So that was the central message of Jesus Christ. Uh, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and trust in the gospel. Trust in the good news of the kingdom of God. That is the Christian gospel. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth. As we'll later see, uh, Jesus ultimately came to die on the cross and to rise again to pay the penalty for our sins. But why the three years of teaching? You know, Jesus could have come and just uh, been born and lived and then died on the cross right away. But instead, he spent a few years uh, preaching and spreading this news. Luke 4, verse 43, he says, this is Jesus speaking, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And so this preaching of the arrival of God's kingdom was the message of John the Baptist, and it was also the message of Christ. And so it should come as no surprise to us that when Jesus uh, commissioned the 12 apostles and sent them out to represent him to other areas, uh, that they were preaching the very same message. They are ambassadors of the king. They're spreading the news of the arrival of God's kingdom. Uh, Now, a quick word about the fact that uh, Luke mentions they had the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Uh, First of all, that power is not given to us today. I want to make that abundantly clear. Uh, You can't cast out a demon, and I can't heal anybody who's sick. Uh, Certainly, we can pray for God to heal someone. There's scriptural warrant for us to do that. But that's very different than laying your hands on a leper and their spots instantly disappearing. Those are two very different things. Uh, The apostles were given... They were chosen to be the foundation, basically, of Christianity. Uh, Paul speaks of this, how the church was laid on the foundation of the apostles. And so they were given unique abilities as a demonstration of the fact that they were representing Christ in an official sense. Uh, That's also why they wrote our New Testament. Uh, I can't add a book to the Bible. Uh, You you can't add a few chapters to Romans, right? We're not apostles. We may be Christians, uh, but we're not on the same level as the apostles. We're not official spokesmen. For Christ. And so this unique healing power that they possessed is not something we should expect to have today. It was for a select few people in those early years of Christianity. In fact, if you look at Mark's account where the 12 apostles were selected, he makes this clear that this was a, a unique, uh, they were uniquely gifted in this way uh, as, as, as their position, as, as official representatives of Jesus. Mark 3.14 says, He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Uh, So these 12 men were chosen and were given these abilities for a period of time. And again, I want us uh, to remind us that the main thing they were doing was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 10, uh, Matthew's account of this same event says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everywhere Jesus went, he was preaching. Uh, They didn't call him the healer, although he did that. Uh, They called him the teacher. That was his title, because that was what he was known for. That was the focus of his ministry, and that's what he spent his time on earth doing. There were times that Jesus even refused to perform miracles, because they were becoming a distraction from the teaching ministry. Uh, He wasn't here to impress the crowds with miracles. Uh, He was here to give them the good news of God's kingdom that had begun, and how they could be a part of it. And so with the sending out of the 12 apostles, they too were given the task of spreading this message And the the signs and wonders, the ability to cast out demons and to uh, perform these miracles gave credibility to their message and caused people to listen. Uh, But they weren't the point in and of themselves. 
Beginning in verse 3, we see further instruction that we're given to the twelve as they uh, go out on this traveling ministry. He says to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, nor bread, uh, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So they're instructed to go from town to town uh, to preach the gospel of God's kingdom. And they're supposed to rely on the people of each town to take care of them. Jesus tells them, don't take any food, uh, don't take any money, just enter into a house and expect to be cared for. And again, this is not something that directly applies to us either. Uh, don't, don't go to some stranger's house uninvited and just expect them to take care of you. This was something that, uh, instructions that were given specifically to these apostles for this trip. In fact, in later trips, uh, when Jesus sends them out again, he tells them this time to take stuff with them. Uh, so this was just a, a unique time where Jesus wanted to teach them to trust him. Uh, they needed to learn dependence upon God. And so if Christ uh, tells you, go out and don't take anything with you, you can trust that he's going to take care of you. That was really the lesson they were supposed to be learning. The last part of the instruction deals with those who refuse to listen to their message. Uh, what do we do if we come to a town, uh, we enter it, we try to preach the gospel of God's kingdom, and they don't listen. They refuse to accept us. The, the apostles are told to shake off the dust of their shoes as a testimony against them, meaning as you leave, uh, kick the dust off from your shoes. And that's a, a sign of God's judgment, that God's going to judge that town and those people who refuse to hear your message. And so their message was one of good news, of an opportunity uh, to be a part of God's kingdom that had arrived, but it was also a message of judgment for the one who refused to respond properly. Verse 6 says, after receiving these instructions that the, the apostles departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so we see the ministry of Christ is now expanding. He has uh, trained these 12 apostles and basically he's multiplied himself. They're spreading the same message. They're doing some of the same things. And Luke now transitions at this point to Herod. Uh, Herod was the Tetrarch. We talked about him back in chapter 3. He was the one who locked up John the Baptist because, again, John, uh, you remember, he pointed out Herod's sin with Herodias. And so he locked up John the Baptist, and he eventually had John the Baptist beheaded, uh, basically because his wife hated him. Uh, John was absolutely hated by Herodias, and so Herod killed him. Herod was a wicked man. And, uh, and Luke gives us the reaction of Herod to what he's hearing about the ministry of Christ. Luke 9, verse 7 says, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, he was confused, because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he, and he desired to see him. Uh, so word gets back to Herod about this guy, Jesus, who's healing sick people. He's casting out demons. And there was this really bad storm that stopped all at once. We heard it was because of the same guy. Uh, and you remember that we were over budget last week or last month because we were having to clean up those pigs from the lake. Well, that was Jesus too. Uh, you know, he's getting word. He's getting reports about all these things that Jesus is doing. He's causing a disturbance uh, in this area. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, thousands of people are following him. They're, they're wanting to hear him teach. Uh, everyone in that area had heard of Jesus. He, he essentially banished illness from Galilee throughout his ministry because anyone who had a sick relative would just bring them to Christ and have him lay hands on them. And so this would have caused, you know, these mass healings and things would have caused uh, quite a stir. This was not somebody that could be kept quiet. 
And so the reports start coming into Herod. Uh, He's hearing from all over his region about Jesus and what he's doing. And Herod thinks maybe this is John the Baptist. Now, he had already beheaded John, uh, but this guy had, Jesus had, had such a huge following, just like John, and he was preaching the very same message as John. So maybe John rose from the dead. That's really not a far-fetched idea, considering some of the miracles that were happening. I mean, if, John, if Jesus could raise uh, Jairus' daughter, then it, it suddenly it becomes not too far off to think, well, maybe this is a resurrected prophet. There's not really an easy explanation for some of these miraculous things going on. And so some people are telling Herod, this is John the Baptist risen again. Or maybe it's Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who had performed some miracles, and maybe somehow uh, he had come back. You remember Elijah, if you know uh, your Old Testament, Elijah didn't die. He went up in a whirlwind to heaven. And so uh, they're thinking, well, maybe he just came back to us. And some of the other speculation is that it might have been one of the prophets, uh, somebody else from the Old Testament. And so Herod wants to see Jesus in order to Try and figure out who he is. And this passing mention of Herod may seem a bit random. Uh, If you just kind of read through Luke's gospel, this doesn't seem to really fit. Uh, But I think there's a reason for it. Uh, Luke is trying to give us what people in Galilee were thinking of Christ. What was the common conjecture about the identity of Jesus? And it's placed here in the story by Luke because of how Jesus is going to bring this up toward the end of the text. And we'll get there in just a few minutes. But first, back to verse 10. Uh, Luke jumps back to the traveling ministry of the 12 apostles. They're coming back. They're returning from uh, their mission where they had been preaching and healing. And in verse 10, the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So they return back from this time of traveling and preaching. And Jesus takes them on a vacation. That's essentially what this is. They need a break. Uh, Mark makes this explicit in his account. Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Uh, They departed into a desert place by ship privately. So they're, they're crowded by people, these 12 apostles and Jesus, and they want to get away. They want to get away from the crowds for a time of relaxation, a time just to eat and kind of be at peace and away from these thronging crowds of people. Watch what happens next. They go on a ship headed to an unpopulated area, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. There's no towns, there's no people here. This will surely get them away from the crowds. Verse 33 says, the people saw them departing. So remember, they entered a ship headed across the lake. The people saw them departing. Many knew him and ran a foot thither out of all cities and outwent them. And came together unto him. So the people on the shore, they see them getting on this boat uh, to leave, and they run on foot around the perimeter of the lake, and they get to the other side before the ship lands on shore. Uh, so much for getting their vacation. They, they can't get away from these people. Uh, but Jesus doesn't rebuke the people and tell them to leave, rather, he accepts them. Verse 11 of our text says, The people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. You see a reoccurring theme there. Jesus is, again, preaching the kingdom of God. Every time he has a crowd, uh, this is his message. He talks about the kingdom of God. The healing was really a sideshow to the main event. Again, as we said earlier, Jesus was a teacher, and this was his subject matter, was the kingdom of God. Verse 12 continues, When the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about, and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. 
Uh, they were in an area that was away from civilization. Again, they had gone there to get away from people. And so they kind of went out in the middle of nowhere. And the disciples tell Jesus that these crowds of people are hungry. Uh, they should probably send them away to some nearby towns to get some food. But Jesus, of course, has a different idea. In verse 13, he says to them, give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except that we should go and buy meat for all this people. For there were about 5,000 men. Uh, we, we don't have food for a crowd this size. They only had five loaves and a couple of fish. He says to his disciples, make them sit down by fifties and a company. And they did so and made them all to sit down. By the way, this is probably how we know that there were about 5,000 men who ate. Uh, they broke up the crowd into fifties and there were about 100 groups. Uh, so kind of by household. Uh, so so there, there would be 50 men and then whoever happened to have a wife or, or children would be counted in that group. And so there was an estimated 5,000 households present. Verse 16 says, Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them in break, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled, and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. Imagine being there that day and watching as Jesus takes this little meal, and begins to multiply it to feed thousands of people. And these, these five barley loaves, by the way, these aren't large loaves of bread. Uh, these are more like biscuits. This was a meal for a little boy. So don't think this was, you know, some uh, big loaf of bread. This was a boy's lunch. And yet this was used to feed 5,000 men. And again, this is just 5,000 households. Matthew's account says they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So possibly we could have had over 10,000 people easily that ate from this meal. Jesus was creating food. Uh, he was, they, they were eating bread that had never been baked. They were eating fish that had never swam. This was the greatest act of creation since creation. Jesus was making food here in the middle of nowhere and feeding thousands of people. And they didn't all just get a few bites. Luke says they were all filled and they were, there were 12 baskets left over, one for each of the apostles. It's no surprise then the reaction of the people who saw what took place. Uh, John 6, his account, he says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. The crowd is amazed. They realize that Jesus must be a prophet, the one that was spoken of in the Old Testament that they were waiting for. And Jesus realized that they were about to take him by force and make him a king. And so Jesus leaves. He goes up to a mountain by himself, and we'll see later he begins to pray. Now, why would he do this? Why would he not let them make him a king? Isn't, isn't that what he's supposed to be? Uh, Jesus' whole message was that the kingdom of God had arrived and that he was a king. So what could be wrong with people wanting to make him a king? It seems like an appropriate response from the crowd. I mean, we were just saying a few minutes ago, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Uh, seems like that's what they're doing here. They're ready to receive Jesus as their king. So why did Jesus not let them make him a king right then? And the answer really is in verse 22. We're going to skip down there for just a minute and then come back to where we're at in the text. But I want you to see what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Jesus did not let them make him a king because he had come to earth to die on a cross and to rise again. Uh, that was his mission. That was why he was here. But what about the kingdom of God? I, I thought Jesus' whole message was that he had come to establish his kingdom. And that's true. But he did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to die, and by his death, his kingdom began. 
Jesus didn't come to earth to overthrow Rome like they were expecting and establish a visible kingdom here on earth. No, he came to die and rise again in order to establish his spiritual kingdom among men. Jesus made this clear when he was on trial before Pilate in John 18. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. It was not a physical, earthly kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. And the people misunderstood the nature of his kingdom. Jesus came to die and to rise again. And by his death on the cross for the sins of humanity, he established his kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is totally unlike any other king. Uh, Most kings' reign, their reign ends whenever they die. Jesus died in order for his kingdom to start. People misunderstood the nature of Jesus' kingdom. They also misunderstood the nature of the king. Uh, Notice in John 6, 14, what we had just read after the feeding of the 5,000. It says, those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. They said he was a prophet because he had just fed them uh, this, this bread and this fish. And if you read the rest of John 6, they, they seem to be thinking about Moses. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, God led the Israelites through the desert and he provided food for them by basically raining bread down from heaven. They called it manna. Uh, every morning, the Israelites would go out in the fields. They would gather the manna that God had provided for them. It was a miraculous feeding that went on for several years. And so the crowds who ate this meal from Jesus, they're thinking, uh, this Jesus guy is like Moses. Moses gave our ancestors uh, manna in the desert. Jesus just gave us, us bread here in the desert. And so Jesus must be like Moses. But they missed something very important. Uh, Moses didn't give the Israelites that bread. Moses received the manna just like the rest of them. He went out and got it each morning. God was the one who gave Israel manna in the wilderness. Jesus corrects their thinking in verse 32 of this same chapter where he says, they say, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So they saw Jesus feed thousands of people and they concluded he must be a prophet like Moses. But Moses was not the source of that manna. God gave that to Israel. And so the fact that Jesus just gave them bread in the desert is not meant to cause them to think that he's merely a prophet like Moses. He's more like God. And they missed it. They drew the the wrong conclusion. And so once again, we see Luke is trying to show us That it's a mistake to think of Jesus as just a prophet or just a teacher. Jesus is God in flesh. And so to answer our two Christmas questions that we're going to be asking repeatedly uh, over the next couple of weeks, who is Jesus and why did he come? Jesus is God become a human. Any other answer uh, is the wrong answer. Jesus is not just a prophet. He was not just a teacher. He was God. And why did he come? Why did he come to to earth? I think that, that point is really clarified in the next couple of verses. Verse 18, it says, It came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? So this is right after that miraculous feeding. Uh, They try to take Jesus by force and make him a king, and so he leaves them. He goes to a mountain, he begins to pray by himself. And then the disciples come to him, and he asks them, "Uh, What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? 
And they give him some of the same answers that Herod had been given. This shows us this was really uh, the common thought of people in Galilee at this time. Verse 19, they answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Matthew records Peter's statement this way. In Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the right answer. Jesus was not Elijah. Uh, He was not John the Baptist risen from the dead. He was not a prophet. He was the Messiah, and he was the Son of God. And then verse 21 of our text, notice what he says. After Peter uh, makes this bold statement and rightly says who Christ was, verse 21, he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Don't tell anyone. You're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Don't tell anyone. Verse 22 is the reason. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. Don't tell people my true identity yet, because I need to be rejected by the religious leaders. I need to be killed, and then I'm going to rise again. That's my mission. That's why I came to earth. And so why do we celebrate Christmas? Why does it matter that a baby was born 2,000 years ago? I mean, isn't that strange? Who else do we celebrate from that long ago? We we might have a day for George Washington or something a few hundred years, uh, but 2,000 years ago, why would that possibly be relevant to us? The answer is Jesus was not a normal baby. Uh, He was God become a human. And this is the wonder that so many Christmas carols try to capture in words, the, the incarnation, that God became a human baby. That baby was God. We celebrate the birth of Christ, even though it's been 2,000 years, because it was totally unique. And we also celebrate his birth because of why he came. Uh, God became a human in order to die on our behalf. Of course, God is immortal. God can't die. And so the only way that he could die in our place uh, for the sins that we had committed was to become a human like us. And that's exactly what he did. If you read the storyline of scripture in Genesis 3, we, we fell into sin, humanity, and we were separated from a relationship with God. The whole reason for our creation was really nullified by our sin. We could no longer have that relationship with God that we were created for. And we all, as a result of our sin, are destined for death and eternal punishment. That is the just sentence for the sins that we've committed. But God became a human in order to die on our behalf. Jesus took our punishment that we deserved on the cross, and he died to pay the penalty for our sins. We're able to be forgiven if we will repent and trust him to save us. That's the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's because of what he came to earth to do. Uh, Christmas, you could think of it this way. Christmas would be meaningless without Easter. If Jesus hadn't died and risen again, there would be no reason to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ. It is the death and resurrection of Christ that makes his birth something to celebrate. We're able to be restored into a right relationship with our creator because he came and because one of us, uh, he, he became one of us to rescue us from our sin. That's really the meaning of Christmas. And so this Christmas season, as you uh, hear the Christmas carols, as you see the nativity scenes, I hope you have a little bit more context uh, for who Jesus was. Why, Why is this such a big deal? And why did he come? Why is his birth something worth celebrating? And ultimately, the answer is the cross, that Jesus came to die and to rise again so that we could be made right with God. And that is something worth celebrating. Father, I pray that you would Help each one of us this Christmas season to really focus on you and on your son and the fact that you sent him to die for us. Help us not be distracted by everything that the world celebrates this time of year, gift giving and Santa Claus and all the other distractions around us. 
Help us to really focus on the reason that you came, the reason that that baby matters. We thank you, God, for coming in flesh, uh, for taking on our weakness and our flesh so that you could die on our behalf. It is a wonder. It is something that I I can't uh, come to grips with why you would do that for us. And yet we thank you and we praise you for your grace and for your mercy towards sinners like us, uh, that you would allow us to be forgiven and to be reconciled with you. I pray, God, for anyone in this room who perhaps this would be the first time that they've heard this message and that they've understood what Christmas is all about and why Jesus matters, that you would help them to repent of their sin and to trust in you, that they would turn to you in faith and have their sins forgiven. Pray, God, for those of us who have received your forgiveness, uh, that you would help us again this Christmas season to really uh, make it a time of thanksgiving, that we would uh, reflect on the fact that you died for us. Help us not get over the gospel the simple message of Christianity that you died in our place, that you took our sin so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. I pray that each one of us would embrace that truth if we haven't yet. And if we are, those of us who are Christians, God, I pray that you would help us to love you more for all that you've done for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.